Welcome to episode number five of Dogs in Our World. We're going to learn about the topic of dogs and leadership. Now, quick note, I also want you to stay tuned at the end of today's show for some special announcements I have to share with you about upgrades and new offerings we have here at dogsinourworld.com. Okay, the first part of today's show will revisit a familiar term you may remember from our first episode, and we'll also try to better understand why leadership is necessary. In part two, we'll talk about the importance of motivation, and we'll briefly address another huge debate in the dog training world. We'll also learn about the importance of having fun. Now, in the final part of today's show, our guest will share with us ways we can better position ourselves to be leaders. Okay, let's get started. You are listening to Dogs in Our World, a show that explores the history, science, and importance of the domestic dog. Here's your host, Adam Winston. The topic of dogs and leadership has interested me for a while now. And if there's one thing that dogs have taught me more about or made me better at, it's leadership. I've been looking forward to finding a way to address this topic in one of our episodes, and once again, I found someone who has lots to share on the subject. On top of that, she's the host of one of my favorite radio shows and podcasts. My name is Julie Forbes. I'm the host and producer of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, which is a local radio radio show here in Western Washington and also a podcast um, on iTunes and on our website, which is dogradioshow.com and SoundCloud on our Facebook page. I've uh, been on air for eight, I've eight years, I think now, over eight years. It was 2009. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did the math. I looked at your website yesterday and I did the math. It's, it's been eight years. 424 episodes, I think. So um, it's so fun. I, like you, I love to talk about dogs. And it's interesting because a lot of times people ask, you know, oh, it's an hour show once a week. Don't you run out of stuff to talk about? And it's like, actually, it's the opposite. The more people that I talk with, the more there is to talk about. Uh, so it's a show really for, it's a educational show, you know, a sort of intelligent conversation, but all somehow connected to dogs. And it's, there's a lot that connects to dogs in our life. We have a really beautiful connection with dogs as people an old connection. 40,000 years is the most widely accepted number in science last I checked. And uh, it's pretty impressive. It's a pretty unique relationship and just doesn't get old. I also work locally here in Seattle and uh, somewhat via Skype and uh, phone consultations, helping people with dog training and behavior. And I've done that for uh, a little over 15 years. And my company's name is Sensitive Dog. And do you have a website? sensitivedog.com. All right. And do you have any other books or anything that that the um, listeners can check out if they want to learn more about you? So I just am just about finished writing my first book. It's been um, almost five years of working and researching on it. And it's uh, really, truly just about done. I've said that many times over the years. It's a humbling, a humbling experience (laughs) writing a book. Um, But I'm excited about that, and it's about uh, weaving. uh, It's a bit of a hybrid of a book. So I I weave my 
uh, years of experience working with people and their dogs and also my own personal experience as a human being as well as research that I did on um, mostly leadership, which we'll be talking about today, and what dogs can teach us about leadership and about ourselves, and also about our, um, because they're nonverbal, um, we have to really, to be effective at communicating with dogs, we really have to be aware of our nonverbal communication, which means being aware of and in our bodies, which is not a given for people or relationship with our bodies is complex as well. It's geared more towards women, but um, certainly not exclusive to women. Uh, the conversation certainly isn't. So it's, uh, it's been a challenge to weave all of that information together in a way that makes sense. And that's what I've, I think, finally figured out. So as Julie and I began our conversation, she immediately addressed a topic that should be familiar to our listeners. You remember when Eric from Wolfhaven International and I talked about the term alpha and how viewing ourselves or dogs as such can essentially lead to an, an unbalanced relationship? I also said that the subject is nearly unavoidable when learning about dogs. Here's Julie's take. Well, working with dog behavior sort of requires a focus on the topic of leadership and really the question of it, because in this industry, and I'm sure you know with your experience with training as well, the industry is not regulated. It's trying to be regulated, but it's not regulated for better or for worse. And um, it's kind of a, a uh, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of disagreement around uh, what is right in leadership as it pertains to dogs. You know, the words you hear a lot is alpha, which has a negative connotation to it now. Uh, there's a lot of pushback, um, which makes perfect sense. Um, and there's some interesting history around that um, as far as the ideas that were marketed in the context of our relationships with dogs and sort of looking at models of wolf packs and deriving how we should be with dogs based off of that. But the research that was done or the, inf the model that was taken from that particular research was on captive wolves. So they were forced packs. And this is spelled out actually very clearly in Temple Grandin's book, uh, Animals Make Us Human. And episode one of Dogs in Our World. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good. Um, so... <clears throat> So it's interesting that in forced packs, there is a more of a rigid hierarchy that forms because they're not related. So this whole idea of alpha and this almost sort of ladder structure of, of leadership, which you can see in this country anyway, applied everywhere, mm -hmm. <laughs> corporations, religions, school, exactly. And, um, and then in the dog training world, and it's interesting to me why that why the research done on captive wolves was the one marketed to the general public and not the research done on wolves in the wild, because imagine the difference that, uh, you know, what a different conversation we would be in, in in the world of dog training, 
if it wasn't alpha, but if it was more of a parental understanding, more of a parental dynamic, which we can relate to. You know, there's ways that that can get us into trouble. And, you know, dogs aren't children, aren't human children, but there's a lot of those dynamics that actually are really natural. Mm -hmm. Um, You are responsible for your dog's well-being. You are therefore the one in charge. So whether you like it or not, that is your role. And they need us to be. This is a human world. And a lot of dogs would feel overwhelmed um, if they felt like they were in charge, even if they tried to be just like kids. So um, that's kind of, you know, why did I focus on this? Um, Because it's part of the conversation of coaching people in their relationships with their dogs. If you're listening right now and and thinking to yourself, well, I don't have a dog or I'm not in a position of leadership, then look, I I just want you to think about how nearly every time Julie mentions the word dogs in this episode about leadership, you can likely get away with replacing the word dogs with humans. As I've said before, this show is for everyone, whether you have a dog or not. And as we continue, think about how the stuff we're talking about, uh, how it can be applied to those of you who are not just dog owners, but maybe parents or also employees, whoever. I really want to learn and I want to share with everybody who's listening about how we can either be better leaders or how we can work with those that we serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really, I mean, that alone is sort of a philosophy of leadership where you are of service to those you lead versus, you know, maybe a a polar opposite example would be like a bully type style, bullying type style. I'm going to keep you down so that I maintain my position at the top. You know, that's rooted in insecurity. So it's really not authentic, true leadership. I think that there's a lot more and more out about bullying styles of leadership. And you kind of, I don't know, it's unfortunately effective because it's targets people who are afraid and that's how the bully, you know, remains in power. And leadership is, is a skill and it needs to be practiced. Right. Yeah. And so if, if we're someone who, who maybe hasn't had much experience as a leader or in leadership positions, um, do we have to be a leader? To our dogs? Yeah. Depends on the dog. Mm. So some dogs don't require much. They don't test boundaries much. They're just easy. They're laid, you know, they're easygoing. You know, they're, they don't have much, you know, in the way of challenges or, you know, they're happy when somebody new comes over to the house or they're not reactive on leash. You know, the things that people commonly are challenged with. Um, so it really depends on the individual, but it w- you could ask that, you know, turn it to the human world. Well, does, does, does a child need a parent to be in charge? Well, yeah. I mean, if the child's sick, who goes to the doctor, who pays for it, who, who acquires the food, who pays for it, who drives the car, who, you know, it's, it's the way that, uh, it's the, it's a model of nature. I mean, parental role is that you are in charge of, you are responsible for. And so given that, yes, you, you are. How much you're going to really have to play that part is going to depend on the dog. And, 
and people are different as as much as dogs are different. So some people are natural leaders, and that's that's easy. Other people maybe aren't aren't natural leaders or just haven't practiced it. And what's so great about our dogs is that they give us an opportunity to practice those skills in a safer context than with people. I absolutely agree with Julie that dogs give us an opportunity to practice skills uh, without judgment. She also shared one of the things that makes standardizing dogs so difficult. You know, like people, she said, uh, each one is unique and what works for one dog may not work for another. So how do we know what approach to take when providing leadership to dogs? You know, the first thing I would say is that it depends on the dog. So every dog is different. And I think that's part of what complicates, just like people, I think that's part of what complicates the conversation and why we can't standardize this. You know, this is as much as we try to just overgeneralize. This is what dogs do best with. This is what style is best for dogs. It's like, well, who's the dog? Is this a a high drive Belgian Malinois who needs a lot of structure and a strong presence? Or is this a opposite end of the spectrum? Is this a dog who has, has PTSD from living its life in a puppy mill? And if you even look at the dog directly, it's going to have a fear response. Mm -hmm. And there's everything in between, Uh, you know, think of sort of a bell curve type Mm -hmm. structure. So with, you know, behavior and training, Every dog is different. Every dog is different. Coming up in part two, longtime dog trainer, radio show host, podcaster, and soon-to-be-published author, Julie Forbes, will warn us about some leadership pitfalls to be mindful of and the importance of motivation and having fun. Dogs in Our World with your host, Adam Winston, will return right after this. (laughs) Okay. Support Dogs in Our World by making a donation. This fun and informative show is free to the public, but it's not free to produce. Every dollar donated goes directly towards production expenses. Help Adam improve the lives of dogs and people through more episodes just like this one. Donate today at dogsinourworld.com. Adam will be right back with more Dogs in Our World. For more information about this show, visit the episodes page at dogsinourworld.com. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Welcome back. In the first part of the show, we met Julie Forbes. She talked about the importance of leadership and how each of the dogs in our world are unique. I also challenged all of us to think about how today's show can hopefully teach us a little bit about ourselves and and how to be better leaders. Now, I want to look at some of the things we should be cautious of, such as using fear as a motivational tool. Have you ever had a boss who was big on results but had very little in the respect department? Um, personal story. I I once had a boss who would threaten us with unemployment if we didn't work through the night to meet an unexpected and increased quota. At the time, I feared losing that job and my boss would use that fear to motivate me. You know, those threats among other things did little to, uh, instill respect 
and a healthy organizational culture. You know, here's Julie again, helping me to see how dogs can teach us to be better leaders. I think a, a great quality of leadership is to inspire greatness in those who work for you. To how to nurture those who you're responsible for to be the best versions of themselves that they can be versus keeping others down or beneath you and sort of more focusing on that aspect of it. I don't think that it's as effective to, you know, you know, inspire work or productivity by kind of keeping people down or making people feel bad about themselves or, you know, uh, relying on fear to maintain a position of power. I see that parallel between how I've been treated as a worker, trying to be motivated by using fear as a tool, as a learning tool or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I see people, you know, relying on fear as a tool to try to teach or control, quote unquote, their dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, it creeps me out. Mm hmm. Oh, it's all over the place these and days. I'm not saying I haven't made my mistakes, you know. Yeah. But um, I just don't feel that fear should ever be. No, it's not. It's... Can you think of a healthy scenario or a healthy example where we would want to use fear as a, as a learning tool? Well, no. <clears throat> I think that there's a there's a, a line. Um, there's, I think, you know an appreciation of, of respect towards a leader, understanding that this is the one, this is the, the individual who's in, in charge. Um, so having a respect for that and an understanding that there are expectations and that there could be consequences and that this is the, the person who could um, apply those or assert those. But that's not, um, you know, when I think of, dogs in fear, I think of an emotional response. So if you're, you know, fearful, you're, it's going to get in your way of, um, making mental connections for, you know, uh, anxiety, for example, fear and anxiety kind of hold hands and, and your ability to learn is really drastically impacted if you are in the presence of fear and anxiety you're not gonna i recently had a dog training client uh, say to me ah it's all about using treats and i said no it's it's all about incentive i'll ask most dogs to sit before opening the front door and going for a walk I, i typically don't need food or any other type of reward in that situation because the reward of having the door opened and beginning the walk is the incentive for the dog to comply. Now, of course, some dogs don't like going for walks and other dogs need very little, if any, incentive to sit for you. Uh, But here's Julie talking about using motivation when providing leadership. So in the context of uh, business and, uh, you know, managing employees, how how do you motivate? And that's another doozy you know, talking about motivation. And that's something I think that we take for granted. And, oh, dogs love to please. My dog loves to please. Mm, Your dog is interested in themselves and what works for them first, generally. How much your dog is motivated by being worked with is genetic. Is it a herding breed or is it a scent hound? Because I can guarantee you 
a vast majority of the herding breeds are going to be motivated by just, they're going to be excited to just be told what to do. My Mm -hmm. cattle dog, for example, both of them, but especially my male, is like, yes, Levi, do this, do that, yes. And he's like, you know, psyched, yes. And he'll just do, put his ears back and do it like he's super business about it. My dachshund, you know, scent hound, you know, her job description is to track scent. Uh, You know, so your job is to keep up. Or a terrier, for example, you know, go into the hole and kill the animal in the hole versus a herding breed who's like you're working. The the job description is working together, listening, you know, go right, go left. You're not telling a terrier, you know, okay, now do this, now do that while they're actually killing a rat, for example. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it's taken for that part is, I think, over applied Dogs love to please. Hmm, dogs are interested. Dogs are paying attention to uh, the feedback they're getting from their environment and what works for them. And different people are motivated by different things. Exactly. And different people have different skills and mm-hmm. um, abilities that need to be harnessed Yeah. by good leadership or with good leadership. Yeah, exactly. Recognizing what is, um, what is your skill set as an individual and so therefore what job am I going to ask you or expect you to do? So full disclosure here, I'll be honest with you. I, I view myself as, uh, as an impatient person often, and uh, that can sometimes be one of my downfalls. But other times, I, I feel it being impatient sometimes contributes to my, my, my drive, my personal drive. You know, it, it definitely is a downfall for me, though, when impatience with people um, causes me to become reactive or short-tempered. I have spent a lot of time around a wide variety of dogs, and I can say that they have taught me a lot about patience. And as Julie is about to tell us, uh, they also teach us about the importance of setting the emotional tone. Commonly, when people don't get what they ask for immediately, they start to panic a little bit. Uh, and this is sort of an energetic, you know, raise your raise your voice, has a different tone to it. <laughs> um, go over to the dog, try to catch the dog, and the dog is just con- basically controlling you. I mean, you're you're freaking out. <laughs> Maybe they're just getting a razz out of you too. <laughs> like, look at you. You're totally. I'm. I've thrown you off without hardly even doing anything. That's not a strong presence. You know, how easily someone is gotten to react is not, is a, is a quality of leadership. So if somebody is really reactive, it is not a good sign of a, it's not somebody who I would want in charge of anything important to me. Yeah, the reactive boss or the micromanaging boss. <sighs> on you, just it's like, whoa, there. why are you, why are, what are you afraid of? Or why, whoa, what's going on? You know, it's not, you want calm and thoughtful and and you know I feel confident in my ability to ultimately get what I ask for so and you know you're asking another individual to make a choice and that's something that people don't appreciate enough in in training you know we talked about motivation 
and what motivates one individual versus another is a really important thing to understand about your dog as an individual. Uh, what, why should your dog mode? Why should your dog work for you? Because dogs love to please. No. Why? Uh, what is the what is the quality of your relationship? Relationship is huge. You know, are you friends? Do you play with your dog? Do you guys have fun together? Does your dog feel good when he or she does something for you? Do you let them know or do you just take it for granted? And then really focus on when they're when they misbehave and that's kind of where they get more attention. So there's a lot there. Um, but the emotional tone is I, I really love the opportunity to coach people around that with a lot of depth of understanding and get them to actually practice it, that a responsibility of a person in charge and, and also a, a way to sort of express power is to set the emotional tone. This is how this is going to go. Set the emotional tone. <clears throat> yeah. If you don't do what I ask, am I going to change my emotional tone or am I going to just you know, stay on it and get it, you know, mm -hmm. work through it and ultimately follow through without changing how I'm being really drastically because that, that would be the dog throwing you off versus you, um, following through with your intention. So what was the original intention and is that what you ended up getting or did you end up going sideways and now you're over here somewhere? chasing the dog around the room. <laughs> and then now the dog thinks it's the, that's the most fun, right? Another controversial subject that I find nearly unavoidable as, I, as a dog trainer and dog welfare professional, it's the debate over the use of corrections. So, you know, corrections can range from, from using physical force uh, to a shock collar or simply saying, ah, when a dog presents an undesirable behavior. Now, I'm wary of anyone who advocates using physical force or what I dramatically refer to as electroshock therapy to train a dog. But it's also my opinion that modern American dog training has just slightly overreacted a bit in an attempt to distance itself from the, the old school alpha or dominant style of the past. Not that the alpha or dominance approach isn't still very much alive. You know, yes, yes, we should teach dogs desirable behaviors so we can set them up for success. But is it wrong to communicate to a dog or person when they're about to do something potentially undesirable? You know, how can we tell a dog or let a dog know what is appropriate or what is expected? The thing to say is, again, every dog is different. So some dogs are really this is sensitive. Yeah. And this is, I think, the most important way that every dog is understood as an individual in this context is, is specifically around corrections, which is the biggest way that the industry is in conflict is around corrections and consequences. So there's sort of the two, the two ends of the spectrum we're not acknowledging wrong choices. Which I think still relates very heavily to leadership. Sure. I'm listening. Yeah. I mean, in parenting styles too. Don't ever tell your dog no. It's like, well, dogs correct each other. It's not a, you know, it's okay. It's just, it's just that there's, it's sort of a. And you can pick whatever word or sound you want sure. too. That's the yeah. beauty of the it. The word doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Um, but, but how are you going to set boundaries? I mean, that is how they, you know, how, do, how does a dog communicate to another dog not to take their bone, for example? They growl and snap. It's not, oh, no, that my dog's being aggressive. It's just the dog is communicating in a way that's natural to the dog. Or the dog is communicating to the other dog to stop humping them. Rah, they turn and swing their body. Well, and, snap, I call it. Yeah. So it's not, that's not all positive. The world isn't all positive. Dogs aren't all positive. And it's okay. You know, we can set boundaries in a way that isn't at all abusive, that is, is respectful of the dog, that is sensitive to the dog. Because if you overcorrect, you freak the dog out. And then you don't have the dog's brain. So good luck teaching them anything. Because mm-hmm. now they're nervous. Mm-hmm. So you have to know who you're working with. Some dogs are very sensitive to body language, body corrections. Other dogs aren't so much. You know, they're like, get out of my way, yeah. like <laughs> trying to blow past you. And you're like, big goofs. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we, we always sort of come in with a really low level of intensity, sort of with the dial turned down mm-hmm. as far as level of intensity, and then just get to know the individual that we're working with. As we talked about being leaders and avoiding the pitfalls of unhealthy leadership, yeah, I often tell clients to think about their favorite teachers from school when they were young. Usually those teachers provided a place where we could both express ourselves and have fun while learning. Like everyone, you know, I have bad days and sometimes I allow my impatience to get the best of me. But one of the main reasons I enjoy working with dogs is because it's fun. You know, dog training should be fun. In fact, as a personal and professional piece of advice for myself to all of you dog owners out there, if you're ever working with a dog trainer or similar professional and they're not instilling a sense of fun in both you and your dog, then I recommend finding someone else who does. You know, I know I am my most brilliant when I'm having fun. So, you know, I, I want training, dog training. Um, I want to have fun. Like, that's really all I want to yeah, do ever, try. ever. Mm-hmm. For me, that's what it's all about. I understand that not my, everything is my fun. My worst days, the the worst dog training days I have are when I realize that I lost sight of that. Chaser the Border Collie, who was taught over a thousand words, um, was and not just proper nouns. She was taught, um, at the time the book was written, 1,022 proper nouns, so names of things. She also learned... Uh, common nouns so she can categorize things and also verbs adjectives I mean what how this dog was taught language is something that's not been accomplished prior to this it's really incredible Um, John Pilly is the retired psychology professor who taught his dog chaser the border collie all of these words and he did it entirely through playing so if we talk about motivation of for work which is uh, you know, inspiring um, work, you know, is, is, is a leadership, you know, oftentimes in leadership, you're, you're trying to motivate individuals to do this or do that for you or be this or be that for you. You know, that fun and play is a huge part of it. Isn't that interesting, right? And that's why you see all this stuff nowadays with the Google campuses and the, yeah, you know, game rooms, game and, rooms and free yeah. snacks and exactly. Coming up in the final part of the show, Julie Forbes will share with us about the importance of being present and self-aware and how these mindful states can help us be better leaders. Back after this. 
We'll be right back with more dogs in our world. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also message us directly via the contact page at dogsinourworld.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Welcome back to the final part of this episode. Uh, One of the biggest takeaways from my conversation with Julie Forbes is the importance of, of being present. I think her advice could help me as I, as I work to harness that impatience of mine I was telling you about. You know, being present is powerful. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, being present, we could do a show just on that probably, but that's a, okay. that's a really, that. that's a really, um, that's something that dogs really provide us an opportunity uh, to practice being present in a world that moves so fast. And one of the common um, pieces of coaching that I will give people when they're actually working with their dog, and I'm in the presence of them and their dog and coaching them how to um, educate their dog. So this could be in the context of let's just say basic obedience training, which is different from behavior work. Mm -hmm. Obedience training is kind of like school, like education. Um, People move so, to talk so fast. Sit, 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 sit. And it's like, oh my gosh, if someone was talking to me like that, I wouldn't be inclined to listen for very long. That's the first thing I do in my classes. The very first thing is we play a little game, you know, the name game where they have to call their dog to them. They can only say the name of the dog once, but they have to come up with some sort of sound or way to get the dog's attention. But they, but once you repeat yourself, you lose your round. I think there's also an attachment to the outcome versus it's like, you know, not the destination, it's the journey. So really at first, especially in when a dog is new to the training process, especially being really present to your dog's learning and thought process is one of the best ways to get to know your dog, especially given the nature of our relationship has been working together for tens of thousands of years until very recently. I call it the uh, unemployment epidemic that faces dogs these days in our society. And there are a lot of them are really bored. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's sort of that, you know, down, down, you know, you're not, you didn't do it immediately. I I must have to do something. And, and that, so that opens up a, you know, conversation about doing versus being. I soon later asked Julie to expand on what she meant by doing versus being. So, you know, meditation, for example, Mm. would be a great practice in being, asking your dog to do something that he or she knows how to do and just giving it a few seconds before saying something or doing something to get your dog to do it. Actually, what's more powerful is to just be with your dog and listen to the nonverbal communication because they're not going to verbally process. Oh, yeah. You said that to me a lot before. I know what that means. You're asking me with without a big hand signal this time, and I'm used to that. 
but I know what that word means. I recognize it. Okay, this is what, and then they do it, right? So they're not going to verbally th- uh, verbally process because they're dogs, but they have a thought process. Hmm. So being with that process and letting the dog actually connect the dots strengthens their ability to have a thought process, which is important when we start working them around distractions. Um, but it also represents yourself. I mean, this is in talking about leadership, like it's not what you say, it's, it's your actions and also how you are. Leaders set the emotional tone. So if I'm, ah, I need to get this, sit, 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 ah, it's like, oh my God, what is the, why are you so like amped up and panicked and rushed and oh my gosh, what is, what is happening right now versus, hey, sit. And it just feels different. It creates it creates the emotional charge of the environment. I mean, that's not just leadership, but that's power. One of the things I'm always quick to teach my clients is that dogs have different temperaments. You know, some dogs are timid and shy and take a little longer to warm up to new people. You know, other dogs are very bold and have zero stranger danger, right? Sometimes I see people jump to conclusions and and make broad assumptions about a dog that aren't that, you know, they're just off base. For example, you know, just because a rescue dog is fearful or timid around new people, that doesn't mean that it was abused by a previous owner necessarily. Also, if I had a dollar for every time someone tells me that a dog doesn't like me because I'm a man, all right, maybe I wouldn't be rich, but I hear it all the time, right? And minutes later, the dog is cuddling in my arms. So I'm not saying that there aren't dogs in our world who don't like men. I'm just saying that I, I think sometimes we project and we give dogs labels and histories that just, you know, it's not helpful or applicable to the animal. In communication with dogs, uh, the more self-awareness you have and the more conscious you are of yourself, especially your emotions, uh, the better you will be at communicating with dogs because I think that the clearer we are, for example, projection, um, being aware of... uh, What do you mean by projection? uh, Projecting your own feelings onto another. So, uh, it's, it's hap- we do it all the time and it's kind of a bummer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, insecurity. Okay. So my dog, a fear of, um, the dog not liking you if you set a boundary mm. as doesn't have to do with the dog. I can guarantee you that dogs actually really like it when there's a clear boundaries and direct communication and they like structure. Yeah. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. with respect, of course, and, and love and fun and all that good stuff. But but yeah, I mean, and just, just as kids, I think, generally like to feel that there's a larger presence than them, it helps them to relax. So the more <clears throat> uh, self-awareness that we have, I think the better people we are, because then we're not motivated by our own, we're not run by our... Um, uh, unconscious agendas and run by our insecurities and how, you know, the better our relationships are, you know, that's, that's everything. It's such a honor 
to learn from someone like Julie Forbes. And I think she and I both share an interest in learning about ourselves, other people, and how the dogs in our world help facilitate it all. I think learning about ourselves and dogs is empowering. And as I've told you before, it leads me to new areas of interest and understanding. It also helps me better understand Julie when she talks about personal power, regardless of whether you're in a leadership position at work or in your life or whatever. If you have a dog, you are to a degree, depending on your dog. Um, But this sense of personal power and um, authenticity, that's being authentically connected and, and being authentically who you are, aware of who you are and bringing that authentic self to your relationship, whatever it is, I think is a huge piece of being powerful because you're you, you're, you're fully you. You're not trying to be somebody else. You're not holding parts of yourself back because you're afraid of what this person's going to think or afraid of being different. You know, I mean, that's something that I, I can certainly relate to personally and, and, and gratefully. So as I approach my 40th birthday this year, um, I don't fear that nearly as much as I did when I was, you know, 20 years ago. So, and dogs, you know, who better to practice being authentic, authentically expressed and not judged. I know. And that's part of what makes that relationship so safe. But we, we also, again, you know, need to, uh, keep tabs on ourselves and, and be responsible for ourselves because we're responsible for our dogs. So the, the clearer we are emotionally, um, the, the better care we take of ourselves, of our stress levels in life. Cause dogs that unfortunately all, they just sort of absorb all of that. Mm. And, um, and so the, the more we help ourselves, the more we help our dogs too. The more we help ourselves, the more we help our dogs too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to remember that one for sure. That's and, a soundbite. Yeah. How can people listen to The Dog Show? Uh, Live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Um, Also, free podcast on iTunes. And uh, we post our shows on our Facebook page as well, which is The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So there's over 400 episodes awaiting um, download for free. Okay. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Julie Forbes about dogs and leadership. If you're a listener who has a dog, think about how you provide them with leadership. Does your dog need a lot of leadership and management? You know, are you finding healthy ways to motivate and work with your dog? And are you able to create boundaries? You know, how can all of us practice being present and more self-aware? You know, one thing Julie and I talked about, but I'll have to say for a later date, is the importance of body language when communicating with dogs. It is so hard cramming everything I learned from our guests into one episode. But thank you. Thank you again to Julie Forbes for sharing with us. I'm sure she will let us know when her book is published. Also, if everything goes as planned, I should have a very special guest for our next episode. So I definitely recommend connecting with us on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter. Another way to be the first to know about new episodes and updates is by signing up for our newsletter at dogsinourworld.com. Until then, I'll talk to you soon.
Hey, Adam here. Since I still got you, I just wanted to give you a couple quick updates on some uh, uh, things that are in the works and are now available and ready for all of you to check out. Number one, the folks over at notecaster.com. They cleanly display now all of my research links that I use from each episode of Dogs in Our World. Uh, The Notecaster website, it allows you to listen to an episode while browsing the research links that I use when creating each episode. So check out notecaster.com and you can just type in Dogs in Our World right there in their search box on the homepage. I also uh, will add a research link in the show notes of each episode that will just direct you, bam, right to the Notecaster page of ours. Uh, just so you know, that's Notecaster. It's spelled N-O-T-E-C-A-S-T-R.com. Notecaster.com. Finally, uh, I created a services page in dogsinourworld.com. Uh, it's just another way I'm trying to figure out how to just keep this show on the air or on the podcast. So check it out and let me know how I can help you or your dog. Uh, also check out my services page and see how I can help your business or your project or your organization. I can't wait to, uh, let's say, video chat with you and talk about your dog. Or let me know if you want to advertise your dog-related business or any project uh, in one of my episodes. So check out the services page at dogsinourworld.com and let me know how I can help. All right. I do have so much more I want to talk to you about, but we'll just leave it at that for now. All right. So check out the notecaster.com page. And finally, check out the services page to see how I can help you. All right. See you next time.